Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. Welcome to the podcast. We're very happy today to have J.C. Polanco, Republican candidate for public advocate with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, before we get into the politics and the policy, tell us a little bit about you. What's the J.C. Polanco story? Well, you know, my, uh, as you said, my name is J.C. Polanco. People ask me what the J.C. stands for. It's Juan Carlos. Uh, I've been J.C. since first grade. I remember... Uh, uh, everyone calling me that because I just hated to just be called Juan by himself. I'm like, I have Juan Carlos. Uh, I'm a Bronxite. I'm a dad. Um, I've been in politics for a very long time. Uh, I'm an attorney. And I'm a professor at uh, the City University of New York where I've been uh, teaching for over a decade. But I've been an educator for 17 years. I started teaching uh, in the Bronx at Truman High School uh, while in law school. And I became a permanently certified educator in social studies and uh, fell in love with education ever since. Uh, I have never stopped uh, teaching uh, since then. So I, it's, uh, it's a very interesting uh, story. Mine. You know, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. I happen to be the first Dominican-American to run citywide on a major party uh, ticket. I'm very excited about that. And my parents came here from the Dominican Republic for a better life and uh, wanted to make sure that when they had children, they had a better life than they did. And I'm fulfilling that. And uh, I'm living the American dream myself. You know, today uh, I'm raising my two children in the Bronx. And uh, I hope that they see that America is a phenomenal place where anything is possible, uh, including my very own story of coming from very uh, humble beginnings and working very hard and uh, wanting to achieve the American dream. And because of that, I really saw education as the key to success. And thankfully, I had a supportive family who helped me along the way. And I focused a great deal on getting the best education I could. I attended Fordham Prep. Uh, where I learned a great deal. I often tell people that I learned more in my years at Fordham Prep than I ever did anywhere else. Uh, then I went on to uh, the State University of New York, uh, graduated from the University at Albany, uh, went on to Fordham Law School and Fordham Business School, shortly thereafter became an attorney. And uh, it's been a, a, quite an experience because throughout all of that, I've had the opportunity to serve as the New York City Director for the State Assembly Minority, something that I'm very proud of. Uh, and also, I've had the opportunity to run for office. Uh, I ran for office when I was 25 years old. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity to run against then-Assemblyman Jeff Klein, who, man, did he give me a spanking. I will never forget that election night loss. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's a great guy, and I like him very much today. Um, and, I, you know, it wasn't the first time I ran. I ran the first time when I was only 18 years old. And uh, I loved politics so much since since a very young age because... I found it to be the one field where you can make a big difference in the lives of so many people. And I couldn't wait for the opportunity to get involved in politics. And at 18, I immediately ran and uh, I wasn't successful. I got thrown off the ballot like right before uh, primary day. And then um, I had the opportunity again during law school and my first, uh, actually my second year of teaching at Truman High School to make another run at the assembly. I lost. And this is actually the, the first time I'm running citywide. And I'm very excited about it, and I'm getting an opportunity to meet phenomenal people like yourselves and uh, talking about, no, seriously, talking about important issues and talking to decision makers, and uh, I've never had such a wonderful opportunity. So I'm very thankful for those uh, that worked very hard on the Republican Party and the Reform Party to get me on the ballot and give me this uh, phenomenal opportunity. So talk a little bit about deciding to run in what, you know, you and I have talked about and you've joked about being a really uphill battle, especially when it comes to fundraising. Oh, yeah. We can get we can get into that, the difficulties sure. around raising money uh, in a minute. But just the decision to run here, you've got this job with the state assembly yeah. minority, you have your pr uh, attorney's practice. 
uh, you're doing, you know, you're ha you're doing well. You're, you know, contributing to politics. You're, you know, raising okay. your family, as you said. What was the decision point where you said, you know what, I'm going to run for public advocate, even if taking out Letitia James is a very challenging uphill battle. Ben, Ben, taking out Letitia James is such a negative way to see things. <laughs> well, unseating <laughs> no, the incumbent, unseating, you know, no, you know winning we're both, the seat. We're both running for the same position. This is not her seat. This is a position that she's running for, and so am I. And uh, every four years, these seats open up, and two people or three people or four or more get involved, and they try to uh, get as many votes as they can to get in. And I saw this as a perfect opportunity uh, for me to really finally stop complaining about it. You know, I'm on Consultants Corner in New York 1. I've been the Republican analyst for Univision for a long time. And I'm always complaining about what is going on in politics. Why isn't no one speaking about this issue and that issue? And how is it that the mayor gets away with this and no one is saying that? And I said to myself, what am I doing about it? Well, this is it. This is, you want to do something? You want to change the system? Then you got to run for it. And I know that there are a lot of naysayers out there and kind of tell you, Ben, I don't blame any of them. My filings are, are, are clear that this is a very difficult uh, battle. Errol on New York One tells me on Thursday, you know, this is an uphill battle, JC, and I'm not trying to be funny, but this is like the Himalayas, Mount Everest in wintertime. This is not uphill. This is Mount Everest. Uh, trying to get my, my the name out there, trying to get uh, my issues out there to be noticed in the city where Republicans only make up 10% of the registered voters. I'm running against, uh, 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 excuse me, I'm running for a position against someone who uh, I have declared from the very beginning I will not campaign negatively against. It's something that I'm very proud about. And obviously when you don't campaign negatively against a candidate, it's not that sexy. And I'm just so happy that guys like, and I'm not, you know, this is serious stuff. But Jared, you were there at the press conference and you were the only person there at the press conference caring about an issue that I had brought up, which was how do we deal with the severely mentally ill? I find it that in the press in New York City, they really are after the sexy story. How can you attack a, a person when you're running? And what I'm doing is saying, no, let's change how we run for office. So I said, this campaign will be focused on issues I care about. How do we handle the issues of the severely mentally ill? Let me put my proposals out. How can we reform elections in New York City finally so that people have an opportunity to vote? We you know, expand turnout, reform the system. How do we do that? How can we make things better for the consumers in the city? How can we change ACS? What can we do about giving home ownership to people that are in the in city housing? I said, this will be an opportunity to talk about all the issues that I don't see anyone addressing. How can I get 100,000 kids that are on line waiting for a charter school into a charter school. So these are the things that I'm focusing on. So I said to myself, why not? Why not put myself out there and, and have the opportunity to speak to voters and speak to Tish James and hopefully she'd agree with to my challenge on Thursday to sit with me and have a conversation so that New Yorkers have an opportunity to hear both of us and make a decision on election day based on who has the best issues, that how they're going to address it, how do they plan to reform politics and government and the office. Why are you a Republican? What does that mean to you? Why does that party suit you better than the other major alternative? And how do you describe your ideology, independent of party? Like yeah, that? I mean, I'm clearly not your average uh, run-of-the-mill Republican. I was a Democrat. Uh, I was a Democrat. You know, when you're from the Bronx and you are from where I'm from, you know that there is no way your voice will be heard unless you're a Democrat because almost all of the decisions are made on primary day. So although I was a Reagan baby in a home where my father instilled in me a lot of the principles that Ronald Reagan espoused and uh, he talked a great deal about the values of the Republican Party and conservatism, uh, I registered Democrat and, and it wasn't until 2000 uh, where I saw the light and became a Republican. <laughs> and I tell you that my... My Republican Party that I joined, and what I believe that I joined, and, and the principles that I believe in, um, are those of uh, economic 
empowerment uh, are those of um, following the rules and, and, and creating an environment where people are safe and, and protected from the bad guy. That's how I viewed it growing up in the Bronx when I did. I saw the Republican Party as a vehicle for upward mobility. I saw the Republican Party as, the opportunity, as a party of hope. I saw, the, I saw it as the party that demanded reform in welfare. Uh, I saw it as the party that stood up to the communism and saw the fall of the Soviet Union. So as a child, the, 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 the Republican Party that I grew up in, that, watching and realizing and feeling more and more a part of, um, was a party that I joined. And throughout the years, I've, I've been uh, very upset and I've, and I've uh, and many times have been independent of my party and a lot of things that I've seen happen with my party. My party's move on some social issues have bothered me a great deal. And instead of just leaving the party, which is the easy thing to do, I have decided to remain a moderate Republican in my party, give moderates that believe in economic empowerment and tax cuts and a secure uh, nation and, uh, and, and an American um, an American family values and American real exceptionalism, I said, I'm going to still fight for those things and I'm going to fight against the instincts of my party to keep moving further right on some issues. So it's true that uh, I'm not your run-of-the-mill Republican that would adhere to all orthodoxy, but I am a New Yorker. And because I'm a New Yorker, my Republicanism is going to be very different than the guy that you would see from either upstate New York or perhaps Nebraska or South Dakota or somewhere else. And I'm very proud of that. I think that when you look at the things that Mayor Giuliani was able to accomplish in New York City, um, he was able to accomplish so much. And I grew up in a city where I couldn't even go outside. I grew up in a city where every corner of my block had a cardboard mural in memory of some young boy that I grew up with that happened to be killed the weekend before because of drugs. And I said to myself, I'm, I can't even go outside. Uh, the, the, these, these gang members are all over the place. I mean, murders were almost at 3,000 a year. And here I see a Republican mayor come in and change the culture of New York City. And that was very impressionable as an, as an adolescent growing up. So I saw what happened there, and I saw with Ronald Reagan, I said, this is the party that I belong to, their position on education, their position on crime, their position on American exceptionalism. This is what I value. And at times I've had my share of disagreements with my party recently, and it's okay. So, so those are some um, of the broad stroke philosophical thoughts and, and wh how you identify. So let's zoom in now. New York City, running for public advocate, what are some of those ideas, what are some of those aspects of your policy agenda? We don't need to get into every detail, sure. but sort of what are the three, four, five things that you want people, you want voters to hear, to say, here are my ideas, here are what I think I need to either push for as public advocate or actually do as public advocate. Sure. And I think that my, those overall principles you're going to see very much at the micro level with what I want to do with the office. I really want to reform the office and make it uh, um, an opportunity for New Yorkers to have a real watchdog uh, to oversee what the mayor and the city council is doing. Quite frankly, I think that um, the city council and the mayor's office are moving further to the left. These the, And there's a monopoly of ideas from the far left in city government today. And I think it takes a moderate to be able to come in and be able to say that, you know, it, it's not okay to decriminalize public urination. It's not okay to make public intoxication uh, a symbol 
simple just a, a slap on the wrist we'll see you later i think it's uh, i think it takes a moderate to say it's not okay for us to close rikers and substitute rikers with neighborhood jails that would impact our quality of life the last thing i want our kids to see on their way to schools is a jail i grew up in that environment i don't ever want to see the kids grow up in an environment that I did today where the quality of life is deteriorating, I will bring back those, as you mentioned, those overall principles in the micro level by pointing out that we need to have a voice that will bring moderation to this extreme ultra-left agenda that we see coming out of, out of City Hall. And it doesn't stop there. You know, I have taught thousands and thousands of people in my career, and a lot of those kids grew up in housing, and I know that they've been there for generations because they share those stories with me. And they'll never, ever, under these present conditions, have an opportunity to taste the American dream, to experience it. And why don't we allow for people in public housing to have an opportunity at home ownership? I think that we can bring back that Jack Kemp model that wasn't successful in the 70s and work to privatize today and allow for those that qualify an opportunity to own their own units. You need a public advocate that thinks outside the box that is going to bring market principles to the office and to the city. And I think that's something that we should have a conversation over because it's not just about uh, you know, turning it into into co-ops. It's about giving people an opportunity at the American dream. Do you know what that does? I believe that if we give people that live in public housing a shot at the American dream, not only will they value where they live, but we're going to see a decrease in the crime levels in these public housing developments where we continue to see an increase. There's been an increase in violent crimes in public housing of over 25%. And no one is talking about how do we change that? Well, let's give people a sense of ownership in their community. Let's help them achieve that. And why not? And a lot of these places are food deserts. So why don't we include a, a, a model that would help businesses get into that uh, into the public housing developments so that people have access to healthy foods. I mean, this is important things that I don't think anyone is talking about. And if they are, they're talking about leasing parking lots to developers that give you money for your campaign. I'm talking about real change, going in there and bringing the market principles of co-op ownership to people that qualify in public housing. And and, it, and again, it doesn't stop there. I want to expand charter schools. I don't want to sue them. I don't understand how is it possible that... Um, we will sue charter schools because they want to co-locate. I don't know how is it that we don't say, yes, Dr. Moskowitz, your system works. How can we use your system across the city? Is it expanding the day? Is it discipline in the schools? Is it allowing teachers to teach? These are principles that I think are important that we can take from the macro level and bring to the micro level. I think I'm very excited about the position of public advocate because I truly feel that if you have someone that will take issues to the voters directly, you are going to have a position that will be revitalized, will have more power as opposed to more uh, dilution like we've seen in the last two decades. I want to be able to go to the voters and ask them, should the public advocate have control over homeless services and ACS? I want to put that on the ballot. I want to say, should the public advocate's office has, have as much money um, to run as the controller's office? I want to put that on the ballot because I know it's either a charter revision commission or it's going to be an, a referendum for the voters to decide. I want to see voters come out in droves this year and support the Constitutional Convention so that we can get a lot of things solved in Albany. I think that if we were to get the Constitutional Convention, I'm going to be one of the first up there hoping that the new Constitution will reflect the importance of the public advocate's office in New York City. So... And, and, and reform the entire way the system works. And lastly, I know that I'm going too long and I apologize. No, no, this is good. And I apologize. I, I think it's important that we are honest. Currently, if you wanted to see issues regarding campaign finance, you can go to the campaign finance website, and that's cute. If you want to see who the lobbyists are and who they're meeting with, you can go see that online. 
Yeah, that's cute too. But when are we going to be honest about what's happening in City Hall? When are we going to be able to tell voters, this is the person that was met by this lobbyist. This is the purpose of that meeting. It was for a building. It was for a development. It was for this contract. This is how much money that lobbyist or his clients have given that person in their campaign coffers. I want to see that information. So one of the first things I did when I announced my campaign is... Why not have an open secrets-like website where we can see that information right in front of you as opposed to putting uh, our citizens to go on scavenger hunts to put two and two together? I think it's just unfair for us to sit here and act as if this government is acting ethically when we know it's not. And I think it's time a public advocate says, listen, I'm not waiting my turn to be mayor and just being nice to this mayor so that I can get his 200,000 people to vote for me in September four years from now. I think you need a public advocate to say, I want to come after whoever it is, whether it's Nicole Maliotakis, whether it's Bill de Blasio. I want to make sure they're doing the right thing for the city. And that's why I'm excited about this public advocate position. I don't think there's, just real quick, I just wanted to follow up on two things. One, I don't think there's anything wrong with you making the claim you just made, but I do want to point out that by sort of alluding to that about Tish James, about sort of not really going after the mayor and waiting and wanting his votes, I mean, that's sort of blurring that line of negative That's not campaign. negative. No, 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 no. Wait, You're okay. saying that she's not really no, doing don't, please, her job. No, don't please, 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 do not confuse contrast That's... with negative. I think that I think that if you endorse a mayor as unethically challenged as this one, if you can see that it took New York One and the New York Post to sue City Hall to get email records that demonstrate a pay-to-play operation, if you can endorse someone like that. I am going to be very suspect as to why you're endorsing them. Now, a negative campaign is what we've seen of people being called names, of talking about uh, their un- their ethics. I don't question public advocate James' ethics one bit, and I never will. I am going to question her role as public advocate. I'm going to question why would she endorse a man as unethical as Bill de Blasio? Why wouldn't she point these things out? And that's, that's contrast as to what I will do, because my point is that I don't care if it's Nicole Maliotakis. I will make sure that if she's acting unethically, she's going to hear from it. I will join the Citizens Union in demanding those emails if it's Nicole Maliotakis. So my point is not on, on her ethics. I think she's a very ethical official. That's not my argument. My argument is why? Why would you possibly not say anything? Why, would you, why, why, why is this the case? And the fact that you're uh, strategizing politically doesn't make you unethically, I th- unethical. Excuse me. I think that if the public advocate is saying to herself, in four years, if, I'm, if I can just you know, play nice and... and, and uh, uh, just endorse my party and be a, a loyal Democrat, I'd get elected. I don't think that's unethical. I think that the mayor is unethical and he should have been called out for that. That actually raises an interesting point, which is this tension is always there when you have a public advocate and a mayor running on a citywide ticket together. One is obviously designed to be a check on the power of the other, an ombudsman of people against the mayor, uh, someone who might investigate, hold the mayor accountable. If Nicole Maliantakis and you should both prevail on Election Day. You'd be in that position. Um, so what is, and I'm sure you're on the record about this, but I want to hear you say it uh, for, the, for the show. What is your position on her candidacy? Are you supporting her? Do you endorse her? And if so, will that lead to the same potential conflict that de Blasio and James have with you and Maliotakis? You'll, you've said, vote for this person. Um, will you then be able to sort of investigate her for four years? Well, I'll tell you this. If Nicole Maliotakis was an unethical assembly member, I will not be endorsing her. But she is not. She's an ethical official, and I'm endorsing her because I believe in what she wants to do for the city. And if she were to win and I were to win, 
you better believe that I'm going to make sure that she stays ethical. Because if she doesn't, I will make sure that the city knows it and we will make sure to expose it. I think it's important for us to have an independent-minded public advocate regardless of party. The question is, can you be a member of one party and stand up to someone from that party? And I've done it. I've done it, and I've done it so many times. I've done it last year when I said absolutely no to Donald Trump. Do you know how hard that was? My party supported a guy that I could not. My, it was an affront to my humanity. I just couldn't do it. And I'm paying the price to this day when you look at my filings. You know, when I said to myself, I cannot do this because of A, B, C, and D, the easy thing for me to do was to just have gone to the convention, supported Donald Trump, and just told the party line. And I said, no, I couldn't do this. I'm a New Yorker first, and I believe that a Muslim ban is wrong. I believe that calling Mexicans rapists and murders is wrong. I believe that Judge Curiel can be a judge. I, be, I believe that speaking about women that way is not okay. I, all these things affected me in a way that I said, you may be a Republican, but I can't do it. And guess what? If it's Mayor Maliotakis and she has a pay-to-play scheme where she has her private consultants getting paid by businesses demanding contracts from the city and these same consultants are getting money for my campaign, for, for, for her campaign for mayor, you better believe that I'm going to the Citizens Union and the New York Post and New York One and letting everyone know what's going on in City Hall. That's the kind of independence that you need. So if I was able to take on Donald Trump to the very end, you better believe that I will be taking on Mayor Maliotakis if she were, in fact, be unethical. But you asked me... You know, how can I support her? I support her whole, uh, wholeheartedly because she's an ethical assembly member. So I hear differently. If she weren't, I wouldn't be supporting her. That wouldn't be an issue. Does that answer your question, Jerry? Yes, thank you. Uh, your most pro high-profile position at this point has been with, with the Board of Elections. Um, in terms of just your, your visibility in the press, uh, publicly speaking. Okay. Um, the most important job was teaching, but... Uh, sure, but high profile. High, high profile. profile. And one of the jobs that public advocate has occasionally taken on or has been seen should take on is the idea, obviously, of improving the responsiveness of government, the extent to which people can hold it accountable, and obviously the, the chief mechanism for that is, is voting. Um, the BOE has been faulted for many years for doing a poor job of running the system by which the city collects votes and gets people to vote. Um, sometimes in your position as a member of the board, you were placed uh, in defense of how the board was accomplishing this task. You thought sometimes they were unfairly blamed. Yes. How do you assess right now the state of the health of the city's voting system, and is there a way for the public advocate directly to affect that, and does that involve critiquing the board with which you were, you know, recently associated? Well, uh, you know, one of the um, uh, most important positions that I've had, you know, I mentioned that teaching was the most important to me, but second to that has been um, serving on the board and being the president of the board, because I was able to walk into that board of elections and see all of the wrongs and try to become a reformer almost immediately. Now I became a commissioner at 29. And when I went in there, this system was arcane. It was, it was just old. It was stale. I saw so many deficiencies in the system that almost immediately I began to call for immediate reforms. And you could just have fun and look at the minutes and, and you could ask all the good government groups that would see me every Tuesday. But as soon as I walked in, I demanded to see online job postings so that we can get some of this patronage out and have some uh, qualified applicants come in because I truly believe that you can be a bipartisan agency but be professional and qualified. I think you can have Democrats and Republicans like the SEC does, like uh, so many other uh, federal agencies do, that recognize that people will naturally coalesce around specific issues or an agenda. We just say Republican and Democrat. And uh, those are the two, according to the state law, that 
run the board of elections here in the city, and I believe very strongly that you can have professional people in those positions. I also demanded almost immediately that all of those meetings are online so the New Yorkers can see it. Why? Because Tuesday in the middle of the day, people are working. People don't know what's going on. And I wanted them to have an online. And, you know, I'm so happy about this opportunity because I always ask, you can go to the website at the BOE and check out those minutes, and you'll see J.C. Plunk from the very beginning demanding that New Yorkers get an opportunity to see our meetings. You know, and I demanded uh, so much. I demanded us to uh, change the way the votes are counted, and I was successful in changing the old system by which we had to wait hours to get vote turnouts back by making it direct from the poll site to the Board of Elections to the press. And it, and it was something that I was very proud of because I went against the grain. It was a reform movement, and thankfully I had a lot of support. Dick Dady here, the Citizens Union, supported me a great deal. And we were able to push through something against the wave and get it through so that we actually reformed the way votes are counted at the end of, of election night that sped things up by almost three hours. So there were so many issues I saw at the Board of Elections, and I was proud to be one of the reformers on the board. And that included uh, demanding uh, better training for our poll workers, and, and, and what I decided to do then, which I took some heat over, I realized that we had new voting systems and we were getting rid of the lever systems and we had 36,000 poll workers. And one year, just out of nowhere, the IRS said each poll worker will be treated as an employee and taxed as such. Being that so many of our poll workers are on fixed incomes, we lost about half of our poll workers overnight. They didn't want to take it because it would impact their fixed income hmm. coming in. So once I saw the shortage and saw the chaos that ensued, I pushed the other commissioners to make sure that next election we fully have a, a, a trained staff that is comfortable with opening and closing these new systems so that we're ready for the 2012 presidential election. We, we were able to do that. And the 2012 presidential election had a fully staffed um, fully staffed uh, poll sites in, every, the whole, in the whole city. But I saw some more problems. And that's when I demanded that we look at auxiliary poll sites outside of the poll sites so that people are able to vote and deal with the, uh, the crowds that existed at the time. I demanded on the record that we get iPads so that people are able to check in electronically as opposed to having to go through that damn book that would take forever to find people's names. And we had lines running around blocks and blocks and I saw this system and I said something needs to happen to modernize it so I pushed for many of those reforms so when you look at the city system now it is incredibly different than when I was there and it could only get better which is why I, I sent to the Gotham Gazette my plan on improving elections in New York City and it's uh, several ideas in there and, 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 and a lot of it is important because it reforms the system from within and I think that it'll not only change the administration of elections but it will change how New Yorkers view elections. They'll have more trust in the system and they'll participate at a greater level, which is really something I would like to see. The If at any point I'm not clear, just let me know. Because oh. sometimes I, I speak so fast in Spanish. I'm <laughs> translating from Spanish to English. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. So as I do that, I may either miss the point or just no, tell I me. No, I think uh, we, <laughs> you think we, you're we, a better we speaker in Spanish running. I'm curious. Um, very, about I, very equal. Yeah. Very equal, yes. Very equal. My Castilian Spanish speakers will say he speaks neither well then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we, we would certainly interrupt you, but um, I think that was all clear. Um, that, you know, I'm not familiar with that record, but the BOE has obviously continued to have lots of issues, and I don't think that iPad suggestion happened, right? No, not a, no, no. That still needs to be the e-poll books, right? That's right? like still a proposal that Albany is doing nothing on. N nothing on. And, and, yeah. it has to ch and another thing that has to change is we have to really fix the books. Ben, right now, when you look at our books... And you want a, you want a voter ID 
only if it's part of an early voting system. Uh -huh. Because I think that by having early voting, we, we encourage New Yorkers to come out and vote, and we lessen the lines on Election Day to make it easier for people to come in and vote. Yeah. So I think that... I think there's so some things in your platform, I and mean, we talked about this, but... You know, there's some things in your reform platform that are not typical Republican proposals, like you're gung ho on early voting, and a lot of Republicans are oh, not I've in heard favor it, of that. Trust me, since you've right. read the story, I've gotten <laughs> and, death threats. I think. <laughs> but then at the same time, you want a free, I believe, universal free yes. voter ID program, yes. um, which would cause concern to some Democrats. Of but course. But why? Why, Ben? Honestly, when we when I ask you why, is for a reason. It's, it's completely fair. You know, currently, when you have voter ID systems that are designed to hurt minorities and older folk, they are designed to not accept college identifications. They'll take the NRA card, but we'll say no to the college ID. That's done specifically for a purpose. Sure. When I say no, we'll take the college ID. When I say, like, we, we'll, we'll take so many different types of identifications. And if you don't have an ID, the system is in place right now that is foolproof. It allows for you to vote via affidavit, Ben. So you can go in, and if you don't have your ID, you can still vote affidavit. And at the end of the election, if you were, in fact, a voter that was registered to vote and didn't have your ID, your vote still counts. But so the, why would anybody be upset? Itself, do you feel there is, this goes back to the question always asked about uh, reforms, proposed reforms like this, is what's the problem that the ID card is solving? Is there fraud now? Do you think people are voting who shouldn't? Voting? No, great question, Jared. I think, listen, there, there's two schools of thought here. There's the President Trump, three million undocumented people voted illegally. That is insane. It is absurd. There's no proof for that. And I, as a former administration, um, uh, elections administrator, I would tell you that's obscene. Then there's the other school that I think is dumb, too. This idea that there's no fraud, and if it happens, it's just minimal. Let me tell you. You know how many elections I've seen that are decided by 18, 20, 12 votes? I don't like any fraud. So when you have those two schools of thought, you have to deal with people that are, have some common sense and say, no, they're not 3 million people. I know you're not going to have IDs just specifically targeting minorities and older folk. And please, give me a break when you tell me there is absolutely no fraud. There has to be you know, some common sense here. And I think one way to address it is by pushing for a free and fair voter system, voter ID system, that is connected to an early voting program that New Yorkers can take advantage of. And I think that as public advocate, I would launch a public education campaign to make New Yorkers aware of how easy it will be to get this. This is not a requirement where you have to bring all these things. This is a, a basic voter ID that you would show to uh, the, at the Board of Elections, and, and you can show them, and the poll worker who's not a law enforcement official, everyone always asks me, but aren't those poll workers there to, yeah, they're there, you give your name, and you sign. They're not verifying anything at that point. There is no law enforcement going on in that, in that window there. So I would like to see someone show a free and fair ID, go in and vote. I think the, uh, we won't, we're in our last couple of minutes here, so we I'm won't spend too much more time in this. No, but, my but I think, I think, um, no, I think people are getting a good sense of who you are and your candidacy. So that's the purpose of this conversation. But, um, you know, I think adding any other steps, you know, can cause issues, right? You're then asking poll workers not just to find someone's name in the book and have them sign in, but to verify an ID in some way. Show and what if J.C. Polanco has an ID that says J.C. Polanco, but, you know, it says Juan Carlos Polanco in the book, a poll worker can give you a hard time around... What is you know? I mean, you're adding extra steps in. I'm giving her I'm, to my a plan non-professional. But that's what we have now. We have right now is a situation where you could just come in and say, "I'm Ben Max," sure. and I find your name and just sign in. That's not good enough. I think that's not that's just not good enough, especially when I'm saying very clearly that this is part of something that New York does not have. New York claims to be such a liberal state, and so we don't have early voting. So why don't you accept early voting? And think about this. 
I know for a fact that the Senate Republicans and the, and, and, and the parties in Albany Republicans, Albany Democrats, and Senate Democrats, they all have their own agendas. I think one way that you bring both sides to the, to the table is by saying, we will give you voter ID if you give us early voting. This, see, this is what we need more of, some practical leadership Compromise. coming in. So, so let me ask you, and then Jared will ask the last question, but give us a little bit of how do you win this? I mean, I know you've got ideas. You obviously have passion, energy. People listening can hear all of that. Um, fundraising is a challenge. I you, like these words, challenge. You, you gauntlet of death. <laughs> you, you are trying to get uh, Public Advocate James to agree to debates no matter whether you qualify for the CFB threshold. But there's a reason why, because Brooklyn people don't hide, and she's not going to hide. I know she will. Not a challenge. So, so what needs to happen for you to make this close or potentially win? Do you need to raise a bunch more money? Do you need these debates to happen? Or is it just about getting out there? More? Ben, that's you know, a great what, question. What? I have to tell you, fundraising has been impossible for me, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I've shared some of those. My independent streak has caused um, some issues with fundraising. Also, I think that New Yorkers view, the, uh, a lot of New Yorkers are viewing the public advocate position as something that is not as exciting or something that they see worthy of investing in. And lastly, I happen to be a Republican who is a moderate and I don't adhere to orthodoxy on everything. So if you're a member of the base and you're the donor class, chances are that you'll just... Uh, go focus where most of the focus is right now in my party, which is at the top of the ticket. Um, now, I, I have to tell you that uh, the, the, the winning formula in this election is bringing out um, independent and blank voters to see, and, and those are those voters that are not registered to any party. Which are uh, more than there are Republicans. More than there are Republicans, 17%. City, yeah. And, yeah. and they, that they have a candidate in me that wants to make sure that their views are taken uh, into consideration, that they have a chance to vote, that I'm the one who's pushing for nonpartisan elections, that I'm pushing for a constitutional convention, that I am their guy. Um, and then uh, make sure that Republicans also view that, although we may not agree on everything, although I may support DACA and I don't support a Muslim ban, I am for market principles and I do believe in law and order and reforming criminal justice uh, to protect New Yorkers. And I, and I view that closing records is a problem and I want to create privatization in our housing authority. If you view that as Republican principles that you agree with, and you could come out and support me as well. And if you're a Democrat and you realize that this is not your father and your mother's Democratic Party, that this is an ultra-left party, um, that is very far removed. This is a party that supported a terrorist on Oscar Lopez Rivera for Oscar Lopez Rivera to receive uh, an enormous award for the Puerto Rican Day Parade to march through our streets of New York City protected by your taxpayer dollars in the NYPD. If you see that as a problem and you happen to be a Democrat sitting out there looking for an alternative, I'm your guy because you can support me and we believe in a lot of the same things. Now, it's very difficult for me to get the message out without the money. Uh, and one thing that I'm going to be able to prove, I think, I'm not going to raise as much money as my opponent uh, in this race. And I'm not going to qualify as is with the CFB threshold. I've, I've done everything I could to meet those thresholds to be able to get into the debates. And it doesn't appear as if that's going to happen. So the only alternative I have is something that I've known since I was a little boy, which is hard work and, and uh, no fear and looking at adversity in the face and meeting the challenge and saying, I'm going to get my, my word out to the voters by any means necessary. Um, and I'm very happy to have had this opportunity with you this morning uh, to speak about those issues. But yeah, it's going to be a challenge for me. I hope that some people that hear me today will go to my website, polanco4nyc.com, and donate at least $10. And let's see if I can get up there somehow to be able to debate this, James. If you surmount, when you surmount that challenge, you'll have another one, which is making use of this office that you win. Public Advocate is an office with 
relatively few resources. It has some interesting powers. It does not have as much power, obviously, as the mayor. You obviously have some big ambitions for it. So I'm curious, when you think about the four public advocates we've had to this point, um, which one do you think has been the most successful? Not necessarily someone you liked or would agree with, but who's been the most successful? And what will your model be? Or how will you, what, what about their approach to it? will be something you emulate or follow in terms of how you make use of this office that has kind of a bully pulpit quality to it, but not a lot of formal power. Yeah, Mark Green. Uh, Mark Green and I disagree on maybe 99.999% of things. Uh, but he was able to take that office and uh, use it in a, in, a, in a way to get the positions of the people that he thinks were not represented out effectively. I think he did a, an effective job at putting the office in the forefront. I think he did an effective job in, in making sure that those issues that he believed strongly in were addressed in a, in a time where the city was controlled by the other party. And quite frankly, I think that one of the things that I want to do with the office is uh, reinvent the office. And the only way to reinvent the office is by referendum. Uh, you, can't, you can't count on the city council to want to have another oversight over it. And you can't count on the mayor to sign a bill to give him oversight powers. But the referendums of, of non, you know, nonpartisan elections and making sure that the office has as much money as the controller's office and making sure that the office controls the um, ACS and homeless services, I think, are important things. And I would like to put that on the ballot for voters to decide. I'm going to take us out with two quick questions on, on your voting this year. Um, there was obviously not much Republican primary voting to be had on September 12th, but did you did you vote? Did you... Um, I've never missed an election, and there were no elections in my district. No, you didn't... In the um, no. oh, As a registered Republican, you didn't have any options? No, not okay. at all. And so I'm wondering for the general, you obviously have said you back... Nicole Maliotakis, oh. do you back the Republican candidate for controller, Michael Faulkner? Because he's been a much more on the sort of right-leaning uh, end of the Republican spectrum and a Donald Trump supporter. You know, the, the, the right answer is yes, we're on the same party. I have to support him, but I have an opportunity to sit down and speak with him. We're so, so busy. Mm -hmm. uh, I've known Scott Stringer for a very long time, and, I, and I, you know, I think he does some wonderful auditing of the city agencies. I disagree with his endorsement of the mayor. Um, but I'm going to be speaking with uh, Reverend Faulkner. Uh, I've only been able to meet up with him maybe once at the Queen's Chronicle, and I saw him again at another event. But for me to tell you that I'm absolutely supporting him 100% without having an opportunity to talk to him and see if our views coincide at all um, would be unfair, and it wouldn't be true because I, I, I want to make sure that I'm honest with you. So I want to get an opportunity to sit down with him. JC Polanco. Thank you so much. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. Thanks so much.